worship you. You're such a good God. We read your word and we see your faithfulness from generation to generation to generation, God. We see uh, your word tells us you're the same yesterday, today, and forever, Lord. And we put our trust in you. Uh, we sang it today, Lord, you've never failed us, God. You're so good. You're patient and kind and loving. God, that's where we want to meet you. Uh, uh, today we're going to talk a little bit about the Ark of the Covenant, something that was stolen from Israel, God. It's the place, the mercy seat, where the blood was sprinkled, where you said you want to meet with your people, God. And that's where we want to meet with you, Lord, uh, at the foot of the cross, Jesus, where your blood was sprinkled to make us whole, to forgive us of our sins, Lord. We thank you for that. Just lift up this morning to you, God, and pray that you'd bless your word, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. So last week we left off chapter 4, pretty dismal. Eli, the end of his life as the pre high priest, uh, Israel was fled from before the Philistines. 30,000 men died in the battle, which affected so many. His sons died, uh, and the ark of God was taken. And then he dies. And then his, his daughter-in-law has a baby, names her son Ichabod. The glory of God has departed. Dismal, right? The ark is no longer in the land. The Philistines take it into their country. And I think I read this uh, to you guys last week. I'm just going to read it again. At least I planned on it last week. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, you can stay in 1 Samuel, but it says... In verse 11, this is the commandment which I command you today. It's not too mysterious to you, nor is it far off. It's not in heaven that you should say, who's going to go up to heaven for us and bring it down that we might hear it and do it? Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who's going to go over the sea and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? But the word is near to you in your mouth and in your heart that you might do it. <clears throat> And then Moses go on, goes on to say, See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments, his statutes, his judgments, that you might live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. <clears throat> and then he says, But if your heart turns away, so that you do not hear and you're drawn away and you worship other gods and serve them. I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. I call heaven and earth as a witness against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. And then he gives them, and I need this, right? If, if you need the answer like I did in school, he says, listen, choose life that both you and your descendants might live. That you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, that you might cling to him, for he is your life and length of days, and that you might dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. Listen, Israel had fallen at this point. They had chosen death. And cursing. They had chosen to walk away from the commandments of God. They had followed 
other gods, the gods of the people of the land. And they've walked away. The ministry, the priesthood was, was uh, in bad shape, bad condition. Eli never restrained his children. And now they go into battle with the ark thinking, this ark is going to save us. And, and they think the ark of the covenant is going to save them, but they miss the God of the ark. Jesus said it, Isaiah said it, that people, they draw near to me with their mouth, with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And Israel was a very religious people, right? They kept all the feasts and the Sabbaths. They did everything religiously they could, but man, their heart was far from God. And they followed other gods, the gods of the land. And really, it's a story of compromise for us. And that's where they're at. I don't know. Parents would know this. You've probably warned your kids. Listen, watch out for that kid. And you're going to start acting like him if you hang out with him, right? When I was growing up, my grandparents told me that all the time. My mom, watch out for that kid, that kid, right? I had a lot of friends like that. And then after a while, because I was hanging out with that, those kids, that's who I became. I was one of the kids where all the parents were like, don't hang out with him. Stay away from him, right? Because that happens. You start acting like the people you're hanging out with. And man, they just got mingled in this world, the children of Israel. And they began to act and do all the things that those, those people were doing. It's very dangerous. And, and it became religion. There was no relationship with the God, the living God, the one that rescued them out of Egypt. It was just dues and duties and showing up on time and doing their part on Sunday mornings. It can be that for us. And then the rest of the week is whatever. And the ark is captured. There's a great defeat, as we looked at last week. And then verse 1, it says, The Philistines took the ark, in chapter 5 of 1 Samuel. The Philistines took the ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer, and that was a place where the stone was. It wasn't a town or a village. We talked about it last week. To Ashdod. And when the Philistines took the ark of God, listen, this is pretty amazing. The first five verses we're going to read here. When the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon, and they set it by Dagon. Now, Dagon was a fish god. It was a god that, uh, a, a statue that they made out of, gold or stone or whatever it was, probably stone at this point, probably several different Dagon statues. But this one, they brought the Ark of God in and they set it next to it, right, as a trophy. And Dagon was a fish god. It, the, the lower torso was just looked like a fish, like a, a merman or a mermaid type of thing. And the upper torso had the arms of a man, the chest of a man, the head, right, face, had everything. And so they set the, the ark in there, and, they, and it's basically a trophy saying, our God defeated your God. Our God is stronger than your God. And that's what they're saying here. That's why they brought the ark in, right? Because they were very superstitious too. And the reality is, for you and I, and we're going to look at this today, we're all created to worship something. If you're not serving the God of the Bible, Jesus Christ, you're worshiping something. There's an altar you bow to daily. And if it's not God, you're bowing to something, right? We're going to look at that in Romans in a bit. But 
So they bring it in, and it says, And when the people of Ashdod arose early in the morning, there was Dagon fallen on his face to the earth before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and set it in its place again. Kind of strange, right? They walk in, and Dagon's face down before the ark, right? It's kind of amazing. And instead of questioning it, wondering, you know, the reality is, is they're walking into a worship service. They arose early the next morning, verse 4, and there was Dagon fallen on his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. And the head of Dagon and both the palms of his hands were broken off on the threshold. And only Dagon's torso was left of it. So from here down. Therefore, and and listen, now they make up a rule, a religious rule. Here's what we're going to do. Therefore, neither the priest of Dagon nor any who came into Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon and Ashdod to this present day. Kind of amazing. They have a choice to make, and we're going to look at that. At the same time as this is going on, and I mentioned mentioned to you guys before, Samson is at his peak in Israel, right? He's, he's, he's making many victories in Israel. He's one of the judges of Israel. And if you guys know Samson, you know, this miraculous birth, an angel comes and says, hey, to his parents and says, you're going to have a baby. And, and he's going to be a judge, and he's going to begin to deliver the children of Israel. And that's exactly what Samson does. But you know what he does? He begins to compromise himself. He, he, he had a Nazarite vow, wasn't supposed to cut his hair, drink wine, be around dead things, couldn't go to a funeral, right? Um, and and uh, vineyard, I said that already, right? And you're not supposed to marry women of other nations, of the Philistines. So what's, what's Samson do? He begins to fall in love with the Philistines, the women. And he tells his mom and dad, hey, take me there. I found the love of my life. And they're like, what? Samson, what are you talking about? Isn't there any of the children of Israel, the, the, the women that you like there? Nah, this is the one I got to have. So he goes to Timnath, to the vineyards. And on his way, a lion meets him, right? And he, it says, the, the Bible says that he tore that lion as a, as a small goat, just ripped it apart and killed it. And he went, met this woman and her friends, and then he comes back, and there's the lion in the street, dead, and this time it's got honey in it. Honeybees made a nest inside, and he gets some and brings it back to mom and dad. But each time, probably thinking in his mind, he's a Nazarite. I'm not supposed to go to a vineyard, and what does he do? He does go. And what happens to him? Nothing at that point. Nothing happens to him. And, he, and, and then this dead carcass, he goes to it, he gets the honey out of it. What's happened to him? Nothing. Immediately, nothing happens. He sees this woman, this Philistine. What happens to him? Nothing happens to him yet. And he's probably thinking, I'm in the clear. I can compromise. It's not hurting me. It's not hurting anyone. And he continues walking down that path. Right? And that may be the same with you today. I know I'm not supposed to do this, but I did it, and I'm alive today. I woke up, 
Here I am at church. But there's still little things maybe in your life that you're doing. That's what compromise does. Compromise doesn't get Samuel for quite a few, or Samson for quite a few years. But it takes him down. He gets his, this is the beginning. He gets, his, he gets captured. His eyes get plucked out. He begins grinding in the mill. They're mocking him and making fun of them in the house of their God. Right? And then his hair grows back. You guys know the story. That's compromise. The children of Israel have already compromised. Samson as a judge has compromised. Eli has, and it affects everyone. Compromise will affect your life. There's so many examples of it throughout the word of God. You remember when when the children of Israel, they crossed the Jordan and their first battle is Jericho, right? And there's this great victory. God says, all the spoil is mine. Don't keep anything, don't take anything. And you guys know, the story, they go into Ai, the next city, much smaller than Jericho. And they say, you know, let's just send some of the guys in. Little did they know, there was a guy named Achan, that when he went into Jericho, he saw gold and silver and some of the, the garments, some clothing. And he says, you know what? I know what the Bible says, but I like that. I'm going to keep some for myself. And he grabbed all this stuff, and he shoved it in his tent, and he hid it. Nobody knew. Maybe his wife and kids didn't even know what he was doing in his tent. Undercover. But God knew, and God saw it, and couldn't bless that. And they go into Ai, and they're defeated. And God tells uh, uh, Joshua, listen, here's the problem. Here it is, and it's all exposed, right? So they could move on to victory. That's the reality of, of, of compromise in our life. God wants us to get rid of it so we can have victory, right? The exposure to compromise to Israel was to get them to turn. It's unfortunately, we're going to see in chapter 7 next week, it takes them 20 years It's going to take them 20 years to get past compromise and to really seek God. Finally, when we read chapter 7, it says that they sought God in their hearts. It wasn't just grabbing the ark of God. They grabbed the God of the ark and said, God, we need your help for victory. Same battle, same location. God brought them right back to give them a victory but it takes them 20 years to turn. Here we see there's choices to be made. Always is, isn't there? Your life is full of choices daily. What you're going to do, who you're going to serve. And they have to choose. And the imagery is kind of clear. As you see the ark going into the temple, Dagon there falling before the ark. It's kind of what happens when you bring Jesus into your life for real, right? When I got saved, right before I got saved, I remember knowing that I'm messed up. I got to do something. I got to change. I gotta, my life has got to be different. 
And I tried to reform myself. I'm like, well, I shouldn't be doing that. I know that. So I'm just going to try to stop that. And I should stop this. And I should stop this. And I should stop this. But I never brought the ark of God in. I never brought a relationship with Jesus Christ in. I just tried to stop doing certain, certain things. And I realized I couldn't stop. I had no power. That's what Israel realized. They just brought the ark in, the ark of the covenant, but not the God of the ark. And they had no power. There was no victory over sin. They couldn't defeat the enemy. And that's what, the way it is maybe in your life. You're going to church, you're, you have your Bible, whatever it is, but there's no victory. Maybe it's compromise, or maybe there's no real relationship. I don't know. But I remember for me, there was, there was no power. And finally, when I did get saved, the light bulb turned on, and I responded. I chose to ask Jesus to save me from my sins, to forgive me, of my sins, I didn't have to write a list of everything I had to knock down in my life, like, oh, I better get rid of this, I better stop doing that, this is wrong, that's wrong. Just all that stuff went crashing down. My language changed. What I bought at the store changed. All the stuff in my life that needed to go got pushed out by the presence of God, right? And I'm still a work in progress, and so are you guys, but so much just gets knocked down and pushed out when you get saved. Right? You're wondering why you don't have victory or joy or peace. God wants to push that stuff out and give you victory in your life, in my life. And these guys had a choice, something to do. What am I going to do? And instead of the light bulb going on for these guys, they chose to prop up their God every time. Right? And God uses things to get our attention. And we realize, man, I got to change. This thing, this sin, this, this, this thing I'm doing every day is hurting me. Right? The first time I fell down, the second time his head got knocked off, the palms of his hands got knocked off. You realize this is doing damage. But every time they just keep propping this up, propping it up, propping it up, I choose to worship this Dagon. I choose to worship this God. Rather than the one that is obviously, clearly more powerful, we're going to see that by the end of this chapter, God's hand is so heavy on Israel. You know, and here's the reality. People are going to fail. Samson was failing. Eli failed. But God won't fail. That's what we see. God, the God of the Bible can defend himself. Right? They think, here's this great victory. Let's put him in our... our and, and what's God do? He just knocks Dagon over. Knocked him over, knocked him over. And they have to choose what they're going to do. And they choose to make rules, traditions, become more religious. Okay, let's not walk on the threshold anymore because that's where we found his head and his hands, right? Instead of saying, what am I doing? This is absolutely terrible and ridiculous to worship this God. 
We need to change. They don't. It says this, we'll read to the end of the chapter here, but the hand of the Lord was heavy on the people of Ashdod, and he ravaged them and struck them with tumors. Your King James, if you have a King James Bible, it says emrods. Struck them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territory. So that, it's one of the major cities, five major cities in the, in, in the Philistine territory. And that word emrod can mean tumors, like a boil, uh, like a oozing boil. Uh, emrods, but it also means hemorrhoids. I don't, I don't know. That's an interesting way God deals with other people, uh, but seems pretty effective here with what happens. Um, and as we read, you're going to see rats are involved, and people think maybe it's bubonic plague, but it says that, that he affected them in their secret parts. You're going to read that in verse 9, in their hidden parts. Like Many scholars, they're, they're a little divided. I don't see that it matters that much. Something major happened here that they could tell God's hand was against them and on them, whether it was a, a hemorrhoid or just a boil, something that came from something like a plague, like bubonic plague. I don't know if that really matters, but here's what happens. Um, verse 7, it says, And when the men of Ashdod saw how it was, they said, The ark of the God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is harsh towards us and Dagon our God. So they realized, ding, 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 the light bulb, bulb comes on. There's something about this, something real here. And, and, and that's what happens. Some people come to church that have maybe an addiction, a tr trouble, whatever they're going through. Their life is in turmoil. That's why people end up at church. Their life is upside down, choices, decisions, what they're bowing down to in their life, what they're worshiping, drugs, alcohol, some pleasure, some sin. Their life is sideways. Come to church, and, and light bulb kind of comes on, like, wow, this is real. I knew that person. That guy's way different than he used to be. And you see the miraculous hand of God in somebody's life, but then after a while, the devil gets in there, tempts you, pushes, trying to push you out, again, to get you to make a choice. You want to follow God or you want to keep worshiping what you're worshiping? Then all of a sudden, what you're worshiping maybe doesn't look as bad anymore. We doctor it up, we glue the arms back on, we glue the head back on, we think... Yeah, let's keep going. And then they disappear. And that's what the Philistines are doing. God is giving them a chance, an opportunity when he's knocking this God over, these, this false God over, giving them a chance to choose. And they choose. It's the wrong choice. It's a bad choice. So instead of just getting rid of the, the ark out of their country, verse 8 says, Therefore they sent and gathered themselves all the lords of the Philistines and said, What shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? And they answered, Let the ark of the God of Israel be carried away to Gath. Okay, let's send it to another city and see what it does there, right? Another one of their cities, one of their five major cities 
in their land. Let's, let's take it to Gath, see how they make out. Like, misery loves company. <laughs> Here, try this, right? So they carried the ark of, God, of the God of Israel away. And so it was after they carried it away that the hand of the Lord was against that city and with a very great destruction that he struck the men of the city, both small and great, with tumors, and they broke out on them. And, it, and King James says, in their secret parts. Therefore they sent the ark of God to Akron. So it, now it's moving city to city. So it was that the ark of God came to Akron, and that the Akronites cried out, saying, they've brought the ark of the God of Israel to us to kill us and our people. What? God has come to give you life and life more abundant. What's killing people are false gods. Compromise. Bowing down at the altar of other things. So they sent, verse 11, and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, send away the ark of the God of Israel and let it go back to its own place so that it does not kill us and our people. For there was a deadly destruction throughout all, all the city and the hand of God was very heavy there. And the men who did not die were stricken with tumors and the cry of the city went up to heaven. Moses, as I read to you guys in Deuteronomy, he can't go into the promised land, but his last words are choose right, choose life. I can't go, but choose life. The last words of Joshua, he says, I'm going the way of all the earth, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. You have to choose you this day who you're going to serve. If you want to serve the gods of the Egyptians, of your fathers on the other side of the sea, it's up to you. It's your choice. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And the Philistines had to choose there. And they chose to worship a false god. Instead of turning from the idols, they turned to the idols. Romans, you guys can turn there with me. Romans chapter 6, just for a second. Because you're going to worship something. You're going to bow down to something. We're created to worship. Romans chapter 6, verse 16 says, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness? You're going to serve something. You have to. You're going to bow down to something. It can be sin. And he says, listen, it leads to death. Or obedience leading to righteousness, which leads to life. It's up to you. It's up to me. It's a choice we have to make every day. Who are you going to serve? Because everything else in this world is a cruel God outside the God of the Bible. If it's money, man, that's a cruel master. 
you'll have to be a slave to it. If it's alcohol, it's a cruel master. You don't know where it's going to take you. Drugs, pornography, they're cruel masters. They get a grip on you and they won't let go. You have to bow to them every day. You have to serve them. You have to go to the worship service. You can't escape it. It's not that you have to quit those things because you can't. Stop. You need to find the right master to find the right God. That's the only way to stop. You can't just say, you know what, I'm just going to quit doing that for now. That ought to be fine. No, you got to exchange that God for the right God, for the true and living God. That's the only way you'll have power in your life to stop or to change. It's the only way. There's no other option. There's no other alternative. Because if you don't exchange one God for the true and living God, you go back to that one or a different one or something else you'll get entangled with, and it's sin leading to death. There's no hope. There's no help. And they had a choice to make. They, cho they chose Dagon. This dead God says this in Psalm 115. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name we give glory. Because of your mercy, because of your truth, why should the Gentiles say, so where is their God? But our God is in heaven, and he do, does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they don't speak. They have eyes, but they don't see. They have ears, but they don't hear. Noses they have, but they don't smell. They have hands, but they don't handle. Feet they have, but they don't walk. Nor do they mutter through their throat. Those who make them are like them. So is everyone that trusts in them. And then he says, O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Right? We serve these gods that aren't going to help us. They actually hurt us. We think it's going to give us pleasure or something, and they actually don't help. They actually hurt you. So chapter 6 says this, Now the ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines seven months, and the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners, saying, What shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us, how should we send it to its place? we got to get it out of here. So they said, if you send the ark of, of the God of, send away the ark of the God of Israel, don't send it away empty, but by all means return it to him with a trespass offering. That's an offering where you know you willingly, here's the line drawn in the sand, and you said, I'm walking across this, right? You're walking, you know, especially the kids do this. It says, don't walk on the grass. There's the line, there's the, and the kids are like, that grass right there. And, you know, they put their foot over, they want, they just cannot help it. That's a trespass offering. When you know the rules and you say, I'm going to do it anyways. That's why the Bible says that people are without excuse. 
people that don't make it into this church and hear the Bible, that God has put in the conscience of every man to know him. Let's send a trespass offering. We stepped across the line. And says, then you'll be healed, and it will be known to you why his hand is not removed from you. And they said, what is the trespass offering which, which we shall return to him? They said, five golden tumors. Weird. Five golden rats, according to the numbers of the lords of the Philistines, all five cities, for the same plague was on all of you and on your lords. Therefore, you shall make images of your tumors. I wonder who had to do that. And images of your rats that ravage the land. And you shall give glory to the God of Israel. Perhaps he will lighten his hand from you and from your gods and from your land. And why then do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians? Listen, they even knew the story of Pharaoh and the Egyptians and, and the children of Israel coming out. Why do you harden your heart as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their heart, his heart? When he did mighty things among them, and he did not let the people go that they might depart, right? They even knew the story of, of God gave Pharaoh all these chances, all these chances. And Pharaoh says, like, take the plague away. Stop this. When do you want it done? M Moses would ask him, and he'd say, oh, I want it to happen tomorrow. What? You want to keep these frogs for another day? These, all right, fine. Right? And then it said he would harden his heart, harden his heart, and finally God hardened his heart. His fate was sealed. Right? And that's what people say, I'll get rid of this tomorrow. I promise. And, but they knew the story. Therefore, verse 7, now therefore make a new cart and take two milk cows which have never been yoked and hitch the cows to the cart and take their calves home away from them so two cows that are nursing calves separate them and take the two cows that have never had a yoke on them that have never plowed or done anything like that you know pulled a wagon nothing and then it says take the ark of the lord and set it on that cart and put the articles of gold which you are returning to him as a trespass offering in a chest by itself by its side and then send it away and let it go and watch if it goes up the road to its own ter territory to Beth Shemesh. Then has he done this great evil. But if not, then we shall know that it's not his hand that struck us. This just happened by chance. This was just an accident, right? And the men did so. They took the two milk cows, hitched them to the cart, shut up their calves at home, and they set the ark of the Lord on the cart and the chest with the gold rats and the images of their tumors, and the cows headed straight for the road to Beth Shemesh and went along the highway lowing as they went, and they did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. And the Lord of the Philistines went after them to the border of Beth Shemesh, and now the people of Beth Shemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley. And they lifted up their eyes and saw the ark and rejoiced to see it. So the miracle of these cows heading out, and they didn't turn, right? Amazing. God just sent them home, the ark. And then these guys see this ark. It's all covered and overlaid in gold, probably shining. It's in the, it's in the harvest time. Um, so they see it, and they rejoice to see it. And the cart came into the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh, 
and stood there, and a large stone was there. So they split the wood of the ark of the cart and offered the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. And the Levites took down the ark of the Lord and the chest that was with it, in which were the articles of gold. And he put, they put them on the large stone. And the, and the men of the city offered up burnt offerings and made sacrifices that same day to the Lord. So they burned it all up. The, the cart and the cows and probably the gold and the box that they were in. And when the five lords of the Philistines, so they're looking, had seen it, they returned to Akron the same day. And the golden tumors which the Philistines returned as a trespass offering to the Lord, one for Ashdod, one for Gaza, one for Ashkelon, one for Gath, and one for Akron. And the golden rats, according to the number of all the cities of the Philistines belonging to the five lords, both fortified cities and country villages, even as far as the large stone of Abel in which they set the ark of the Lord, which stone remains to this day in the field of Joshua? And then verse 19 says this, And he struck the men of Beth Shemesh because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. And he struck 50,070 men of the people. And the people lamented because the Lord had struck the people with a great slaughter. The verse 19 probably means of the land, 70 people were, were killed. You can look it up and do your research. It wasn't 50,070. It was 70,000 men or 70 men were killed uh, as they look into the ark, right? And, and the picture is pretty clear. They did something that the Philistines didn't do. The Philistines didn't look into the ark, right? Uh, but these guys do, and they, it's a Levitical city, and they should have known, hey, we can't look. at that. That's part of the law. You can't open the ark. And when they, when they look in, you know, it's... It's not, you know, Indiana Jones stuff. You know, God just kills them. That's it. You're not supposed to, you're, you're, I don't care if the ark's here, you still obey what I've said. Will you listen to what I've said? And they don't. They look in, and what they have to, to look into the ark were the Ten Commandments, the law, something you can't keep, something I can't fully keep. That's why we need Jesus. To get in to look at the Ten Commandments, they got to remove the lid. And if you guys know what the lid is, that's the mercy seat. That's where the, the two cherubim are there. That's where the, the seat is, the mercy seat. That's where the blood gets sprinkled. And that's where God says, that's where I want to meet with my people on the mercy seat. Right? That's where, if you think, and the picture is clear, if you think you can be good enough, to look into the ark and say, you know what? I'll do the Ten Commandments. My life will be fine. My life, my good works are going to outweigh my bad. It's not going to happen. I don't care if you're a priest or a Levite. Your good works aren't going to outweigh your bad. Can't happen. Just read the Ten Commandments. Have you ever stolen? Have you ever lied? Have you, <laughs> Hello? You can't keep them. That's why Jesus had to. That's why you need forgiveness and I need forgiveness. You want to meet him on the mercy seat. Don't look into the ark and think, I think I can do it, because you can't. You're not going to do it. You're not going to do it, 100%. And the men, verse 20, of Beth Shemesh said, Who is able to stand before the holy Lord God? And to whom shall it go up 
from us. So they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kirjath-Jerim, saying, the Philistines have brought back the ark of the Lord. Come down and take it up with you. Get it out of here. We're afraid. Right? They wanted to leave. Today we're going to celebrate communion, what Jesus did on the cross. Right? Such a picture of the Passover there. Jesus slain there that, on the cross with the two thieves. The Passover, they take the blood of the lamb and they put it on the doorposts, right? And the death angel comes through and sees that blood there on the doorpost in Egypt. And whoever had it on there, he passed over it. He lived. But if you didn't, if you didn't, if you thought, you know what? I go to church. I'm Jewish. You know, I'm an Israel, Israelite. I'm fine. I don't, who needs, I can't afford a lamb. You know, whatever your excuse might be, I'm right with God. If you didn't put the blood there, guess what? You were going down. It was it. It had to be there. Jesus is the one master that we need to have that will rescue us from every other cruel master freely what he did on the cross freed us people tell me i just can't stop <laughs> you got to bring jesus in i just you know i can't no you're making bad choices you're choosing this over bringing jesus christ in 100 percent, because he wants to give you victory 100 percent. Oh, i just can't stop i just can't you're honoring him with your lips, but your heart's far from him. That's what's going on right now. You've got to bring him in. You need to choose that master because he wants to rescue you. So, Lord, we are just so thankful, God. We read in your word, unto us a child is born, we see this little baby in a manger, and that's all Jesus is to some people. But heaven's perspective, a son was given on our behalf. The Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. We're so thankful for that, Lord, for your forgiveness, for your love, for your sacrifice, that, Lord, we get to meet you not at the judgment seat, but at the mercy seat. We can't be good enough. We can't reform our lives, our thoughts, our heart. Lord, we need forgiveness. We need victory. We need strength from heaven. And so, Lord, we just, as we celebrate communion today, God, and just uh, your sacrifice for us, Lord, we want to reflect on all you've done. Uh, we know we fall short. We can't be good enough. Uh, that's why, Jesus, you came to fulfill the whole law, to do what we can't, to give us what we don't deserve, heaven. We thank you for that, Lord.